Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. Some of you might want to refresh your page so that you can get the most updated notes. And so that as you receive it, you can follow along. I wanted to start off with this question. I'm wondering, have you ever met or have seen people who are addicted to something? Anyone who is struggling with addiction? I think for many of us, when you know somebody or you have uh, seen different stories about people who are addicted, I think many of us, we understand on the level of sympathy. We're like, oh, that must be really hard. That's not really good. All that kind of stuff run through our mind. But I don't know if we're really touching into the depth of the empathy to be able to say, I know what it feels like. I've been there as well. And I experienced the power of the gospel message. And as God can work in my life and has worked in my life, he can work in your life. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. And so I don't think it's going to be an exaggeration if I kind of share with you some thoughts where a lot of us are at this moment. I want to challenge us to think and reconsider the possibilities that some of us are more addicted than we think or we are headed towards some of these things that are vices that have captured and will continue to capture our hearts. For some of us, we're trying to avoid things in our lives. Whatever it may be, some pain you've gone through, some dysfunctionality, and this is the reason why many of us are addicted or on that path towards, whether it's video games, it could be pornography, some of you with alcoholic tendencies and struggles with that, drugs, whatever it may be, gambling. These are things that maybe right now you feel like you have it in control, but you're heading in that direction. For some of us, we're consumed so much about how people perceive us. So it is manifested in many ways by this idea of success, this idea of, of how we look, this idea of how to be, uh, live this life so that people can respect us. And so it's consuming us, whether it's just that's our whole vision in life, just to be successful, and we try to climb up the corporate ladder or we're trying to get that GPA, and it's affecting us because we're addicted to this idea of what people think about us and our image. I think for some of us, we're consumed by trying to control our lives. We don't like to live with uncertainty because our whole lives have been brought up in where there's a lot of fear and anxiety. And this is the reason why you are a control freak even now. And you're addicted to control. And instead of allowing the reign of Christ to come upon you, let him rule over your life as you fully trust in him and depend on him, here you are controlling every single aspect of your life. Some of us are going as far as to manipulate people and situations so you can get what you want, which is a desire for control. Once again, I don't think what I'm sharing here is too far off. Because it always starts very simple, and it continues to move towards a full-blown addiction, and it affects us in a negative way. It's interesting because now uh, there's been research and also governments and people in authority are finally realizing that some of these addiction is literally affecting the next generation. As many of you know, and I've talked to a good handful of you, uh, some of us are ministering to people who are younger. But this next generation, one of the biggest things that you struggle with is video game addiction. And so that's why there are, are people count, thinking and trying to contemplate how do we help this next generation because pretty much we have given them a drug that is a constant dopamine hit in their mind every single time they're playing these video games. And please, let me just tell you, all these creators of the video games that you're playing, they know that. That's how they make money. Everything in the world comes down to money, profits, what they're making. So they know what they're doing. Even in social media, if many of you have seen docuseries and all these other things and research on these companies knowing what they're doing to this next generation 
but it always comes down to money and profits. And so here are some countries, in particular China, they're trying to limit the use of video games or online gaming uh, for these, next, these children of the next generation. So I want to show you this quick video that kind of came off on a news outlet in the States. Now, this is the part I want you to watch carefully because you realize that some of us here in Asia, what China is trying to do, it might be like, oh, that's a good thing. But at the end, I want you to look at the response of some of these American journalists as they're trying to report the situation. So let's watch this video together. Did you get that? Like everyone in Asia is like, oh, that's so awesome. We need to help this next generation. But the Americans, the Westerners, we, we love our independence. We love our freedom. It's like, I don't think that's going to work here. It's kind of interesting. My question to you is, what will work? What's going to help intervene not only in your life, but people that you love? Not just video games, but many of us know that there are things that we're addicted to. And one thing that I found so interesting is that oftentimes when you meet anybody who's addicted to something, I, I, I wouldn't say 100%, but I would say it's pretty high. 90-some percent, just, just people that you meet all the time. Many of these addiction is rooted in some kind of trauma or dysfunction or some kind of experience that they went through that's negative that they're trying to do whatever possible to numb that pain. Let me, let me give you what Shannon Carl, she's a professor at the Department of Counseling at Nova Southeastern University. And in this publication of the American Counseling Association, she writes this, and I thought it was very interesting. She says this, exposure to childhood trauma increases one's risk of addiction across classifications along with harmful factors such as the physical health and socioeconomic challenges. The National Institute of Health asserts that traumatic events can serve as triggers for substance misuse. Research supports the strong connection between experiencing adversity during childhood and the ensuing development of addiction. More than two-thirds of children will experience a traumatic event before the age of 16. And with, a, with the current pandemic, Many children are in homes that are violent or otherwise unsafe. Reports regarding heightened clinical levels of anxiety and depression among the general population suggest that stress related to the COVID-19 pandemic affects everyone. Adolescence already represented a critical developmental period for an initial onset of mental health and substance-related disorders. So the vulnerability of this demographic is further increased. Isn't it interesting? as we just read this, that because of the pandemic, not only are the children more vulnerable, they were already vulnerable, but they are now more vulnerable. But for many of us during the last two years, because everything was work from home and classes online, that we were, we were going back to a lot of the things, temptations and some of the vices that we thought we overcame but now we're turning inward and it's affecting our mental health and our emotional health. I want to pause here and just challenge some of us to think for a moment. I would not be surprised in about five years or even 10 years later that we will see some of us and we're going to have to maybe open up more counseling avenues for people in the church or those in the city that will be coming for help, for alcohol abuse, for drug abuse, for addiction to pornography, for addiction to gamings. I don't know if we're going to have a camp like that in China, but all I can say is that there are people who are genuinely struggling. And if you know anything about this Christian life, one of the things you will say is that, yeah, no one's perfect. We have the forgiveness of God. But as all of you probably know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when there are addictions in our lives, there's only two things that begin to happen. We either dichotomize our lives, which is the very thing that we're saying, the gospel paradigm, 
is preaching against. We will dichotomize our life, and we have this Christian life, this church life, this life group life, and then we have this own private life, and we do whatever we want to do. And that's why we don't feel the power of God. We feel guilty. There's shame. And oftentimes, even though you know that God forgives you, because the reality is right there before you, many of us are going to struggle emotionally and mentally, thinking as if God doesn't love me, or if God is so good, why can't he help me to overcome this? Or the other option that I've seen oftentimes is people look at Christianity as some kind of fix, and because it's not working for them, many of them will walk away from the faith. So once again, your framework, your paradigm, your mindset when it comes to issues of sin will oftentimes determine where your relationship with God will end up over a course of time. If there's ever a time where we need the good news, where we need to understand the gospel message, it's right now. Because there are many of us who are struggling with different issues in our lives. And that sin is almost choking us spiritually. It's killing our souls. And we're wondering to ourselves, is there any hope? Is there any hope for deliverance? Is there only any hope for being set apart to be set free? And today I want to tell you that there is. But we have to understand the bad news in order to appreciate the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today as we continue in this series, I mean, Paul has been already establishing in the last four chapters about how we're sinful And we are sinful in nature, and there is no escaping it. It doesn't matter who you are. All your good works and your righteous activities, going to church and life group, reading the Bible, all these things will not save you. It's only through by faith. The righteous will live by faith, not because we make ourselves righteous, but because of Jesus Christ that makes us righteous. Now we can live trusting in him and by faith. So that no matter what it is that we're struggling with, whatever addictions that some of you might be in, that we can move forward trusting and believing that God has an awesome plan for us. That's the good news that I want to share with you. And so let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this. When sin overgrows around us, God's grace overflows within us. When sin, the sin in our lives, overgrows around us, choking us, causing us to be in bondage. It's God's grace that overflows within us because of what Jesus Christ has done. So that's what we want to talk about. And so we're going to pause here and just do a little bit of a huddle group. If you remember from last time, we've been trying to do this a little bit differently because once again, uh, we normally give out two questions, but then we don't have enough time. Sometimes some of these questions are deeper takes a little bit longer to talk about, and we really want this to be kind of setting up in our mindset and a framework to talk about the things that we're going to be talking about. So pretty much what we're going to ask you to do is if you pair up or get in groups of three, there are two questions that you could choose from. So some of us, we can choose A or B or number one or number two, whichever you feel like God is speaking to you about and things that you feel comfortable enough to share. And so I want to talk about this as we talk about the importance of how when sin overgrows within our lives, that it's God's grace that will overflow within us. Uh, As we're just jumping into this, I know that some of the topics might be a little bit more deeper. I was just kind of thinking through this even just throughout this week. um, If these traumas that we've experienced are triggers for us to lead into addiction, that means that there needs to be not only the power of the Holy Spirit to convict us and show us, but as we take time to reflect, to help God, allowing God to help us to connect the dots, to realize that maybe this is why I constantly get into relationships over and over again. Maybe this is the reason why I'm addicted to this particular thing because there's something that's empty in my life or this trauma that I haven't dealt with 
And that's why I've been praying through this message that there will be people who will be set free and that God will work in your life powerfully. And it cannot just be through one sermon. Even though God can use a sermon, I really believe it has to be through the community of believers as we demonstrate the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the acceptance of God, as we love each other, welcome each other, accept one another, pray for one another. That's where we're going to experience the greater freedom that God has for us. So as we're talking about this idea of when sin overgrows around us in our lives, that one of the things that we have to trust in is the grace of God that is overflowing in our lives because of what Jesus Christ has done. There are two things that I want to highlight for us in this passage as we look at chapter 5, verse 12, all the way through verse 21. The first thing that we have to realize is that our sins devastate us, that our sins devastate us. I'm going to read this passage in the New Living Translation, and then we're going to go back into the English Standard Version, which is a little bit of a better translation so we can understand these key words. But I think just in terms of reading it, I want us to read it in the New Living Translation so that you can kind of understand the flow and the logic of what Apostle Paul is trying to say. So let's read this together. It says this, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a greater, there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's gift, free gift, leads to our being made right with God. Even though we are guilty of many sins, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as God's, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let me talk about this. And like I said, I hope you got a little bit of a bigger picture of what Paul is trying to say in this section. This, this whole section that we just read is a continuation of what he was talking about in verse 1 through 11. If you remember, we talked about this. We talked about this idea of because of what Jesus Christ did for us, that he died for the ungodly, he died for us that while we were yet still sinners, because he died, now we have this reconciliation and peace with God. Because of this, that's why you will notice in verse 12, there's a word, therefore. Now, if you look at the ESV, the New uh, International Version, the New uh, American Standard Bible, and the New King James, they all start off verse 12 with the word, therefore. So he's establishing this gospel message that comes through Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, and therefore now he's giving a further explanation of why, because of his death and his resurrection, why we have this freedom in Christ. So these 10 verses that we're going to be looking at is a clear contrast between Adam 
and Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand this is important. If you don't understand this, you're not going to get what Paul is trying to say. He is using Adam as a representative or like a, a type figure for humankind. And then he is using Jesus as a representative of things that we could not have done for ourselves, but he has done for us. So all throughout these 10 verses, you will see this contrast. This is Adam through one man. That's why you see the word one repeated over and over again. Through this one person, Adam, this, this, and this. And through this one person and through this one act, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, this, this, and this. So you'll see this constant contrast that's going back and forth in these 10 verses. So it starts off and says, therefore, therefore, in light of what Jesus Christ did for us, he now begins to explain the devastation of sin that is in our lives. And apart from Jesus Christ, there is no way to save yourself. And this is the emphasis that Paul is trying to make for every single person who is hearing this message, that if you're trying to save yourself by all your religious works, by other religions, you're going to always fall short and you're going to be stuck in your sin. And it's going to be your own self-righteousness that will never be able to set you free. You might feel good about yourself for a moment, but you will never be able to experience the true freedom that God has for you. It is only through obedience to Christ by faith of what he has done that will set you free. So as we talk about how sin devastates us, we're going to look at verses 12 through 17 first with this contrast of Adam representing humankind. And then we see Jesus of doing something that we could not have done for ourselves. So several things that we learn about the devastating effects of sin in our lives. The first thing is this. We are all affected with sin. It is vital that we understand that every single one of us, no matter who you are, we are affected with sin, which means that we are sinful. Now, I know that some of us who might be watching, you're coming from this tradition that human beings are normally and just generally good. Are you kidding me? That means that you are not married and you do not have children. Because when you are married and you have children, you come to the realization and you you begin to look at your child and go, you prove the theology, the doctrine of the depravity of man. You will begin to understand this because everything is about them. And this is one of the reasons why we have to understand, even though some of us want to believe, all of us start off with a clean slate. All of us are just good people. No, we're not. I don't know what world that you're living in. Because even when we do good acts, there's ulterior motives of why we want to do it. We want to get something. We want to move up and get it promoted. All these things, every single part of us and fiber inside of us, we are affected with sin. This is what Paul is trying to argue and try to help every single person who's reading this or listening to this to be able to understand. He clearly states that Adam is a representative figure of how our lives will end up. This is going to be our destiny if we do not trust in Jesus Christ. So what he says is due to Adam's disobedience at the garden, we see that all of humanity became sinners. Some of you might not know this story. If you have your Bibles, you could read it some other time, but you read Genesis chapter 3, it'll give you a glimpse of why a lot of marriages, a lot of relationships, and so many things at the home breaks down. It will give you insights to why your family is the way it is and how it affected you. You realize that when God clearly told Adam and Eve, do not eat from this tree of the good of, uh, knowledge of good and evil, what happened was Satan came and tempted Eve, and she did eat from this fruit, from the tree of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil. And then what happened? And then she told Adam, and Adam then bit into the fruit as well. And it's so interesting that Adam advocated his responsibility. He literally, when God says, where are you? I was thinking about this, and I, when, when it says, where are you? Man, where are you? Was he saying that to Adam and Eve? Or was it to Adam? And something that you need to understand is this. A lot of times God has done it in such a way that there's usually a person who takes responsibility. Even though it might have been someone else's sin, someone else's mistake, if you are in a position of authority, you are in a position of being the head of the household, whatever it may be, 
then the responsibility falls on you. And this is the reason why, here's God says, man, Adam, where are you? And I'm wondering for some of us, if because we have failed to understand God's purpose, that we have completely given up on our responsibility. And I'm wondering if God is saying that to us. And so through the disobedience from Eve and also from Adam, Adam being responsible, through Adam's disobedience, what he's saying is that now we are all affected with sin. There's no way around it. In fact, one of the things that got affected is eternal life. That we're not going to live here on this earth forever. There's going to be death. And many of us experience that, whether it's the death of a loved one, death of a friend, we understand that all of us, our time is running out. We're going to face death one of these days. And that is a direct consequence of Adam's disobedience. I want you to also note the word came in this phrase in verse 12. You will say, just as sin came into the world, that phrase means to spread through. That sin spread through, and it says the reason death spread to all of us is because not only did Adam sin, but that sin has affected us, and now we are sinners, and we sin. Now, so many people, when every time I tell them, they go, I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. But once again, you, you have a choice to either acknowledge that or you try to live a good life and see where that will lead you. Because the Bible says that in order for you to be perfect and to go to heaven, you got to be perfect. And all of us will at least concede that there are not only sins of commission, but there are sins of omission, the things that we don't do. So it acknowledges that we are sinful by nature. Romans chapter 3 tells us as well as we studied it some months back. In Romans chapter 3 verse 23 it says this, For what? Everyone say this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is what he's been arguing all throughout, that every single one of us, we have sinned against God because we disobeyed God, and then we have fallen short of his glory. So in essence, Adam infected humanity with his disobedience. And so it began to manifest itself through death. So if you want to think about it, it's like a virus. Now, I don't know about you, but trying to get zero COVID cases I think it's going to be literally impossible unless we're all wearing gloves, we're all wearing a hazmat. But all I can say is the reality is there are germs and viruses everywhere. Now, please, don't misunderstand. I'm not belittling the COVID situation, the Omicron, the Delta thing that went on before. It's definitely more serious. And I hope many of you are vaccinated. But one of the things that I want to help you to understand is that when you think about a virus, just one person has to be affected, and it just starts spreading. And it affects so many people, especially in a densely populated area. That's why the different translations of verse 12, I want to give you the voice translation. Read the yellow section with me. It says this, Consider that sin entered our world through one man, Adam, and through sin, death followed in hot pursuit. Death, come on, say this with me, spread rapidly to infect all people on earth as they were engaged in sin. This idea of a virus that is affecting us because of one man's disobedience, now all of us are affected. The Amplified Version says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to what? Come on, say this. Stop it or escape its power because all have sinned. So no matter who you are, and no matter how good you may think you are, the Bible tells us that all of us are affected. And no power on this earth can take that sin virus away from us. So all of us are affected with sin. Here's another reason why sin devastates uh, us. The second thing is this, that we are all aware of sin. Now this is a very important thought. Because I think many of us, we don't have to go very far to realize that we're pretty sinful. The reason why some of you think that you're good is you compare yourself with other people. 
And so you're like, oh, I'm not as bad as that person, so I'm, I must be pretty good. Or, oh, my God, that person, um, I'm a saint, I'm an angel. That's the problem with us. We compare ourselves with imperfect things and think that we're better. But what you have to do is you have to compare yourself to God, who's perfect. And so until you are more aware of who God is in his character and what he represents, we're not going to be able to understand how sinful we are. This is the reason why you need to get to know God more. And as you get to know God more, you begin to realize yourself more. And you realize how far different you are from God. And that's when you begin to see your need. When you compare yourself to other, your roommates, to your colleagues, to even people in life group, you may even compare yourself to leaders. If you're spiritually proud and think you're better, I should have been a leader. Well, you're not. We don't know why. But just think about it. And if you think about all this, you realize, wait a minute. When I compare myself here, I might be okay. But when I think about God, I realize I'm imperfect and I'm falling. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 13 through 14. And I'm going to read it from the ESV now. And so that we could just kind of highlight some of the key words that we see here. Now, I think it's very important as we read this that just try to keep this mind of the contrast through one man, Adam, all these things will happen and have happened and will happen. And because of one person, one man, and one obedience, Jesus Christ, all these things will happen. So I'm going to go ahead and read verse 13 and 14. It says this, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, I need to explain this a little bit so that you understand the importance of the law. Paul is arguing that Adam died because he disobeyed God. But before the law was given to Moses, who had no law to live by, what he's saying is they still died. So his argument is simply this. If some of us say, hey, I didn't know, then what he's clearly saying is even if you didn't know, all of us will die. Even from Adam to Moses, because Moses received the law, in that time period, people still died. So that proves that because of Adam's disobedience, one of the effects of sin is death. It is not only physical death, but you'll see as he expounds a little bit further that it's a spiritual death. So what he's simply saying is that people die because Adam sinned. Because we were born in Adam because he was the first person in humanity that now we have inherited his sin and the condemnation that is upon us. And once again, we don't have to go very far to say not only do we inherit it, we are still sinning. So now, since we have the law, now this is important, you got to pay attention. But now that we do have the law, because Moses got the law and then Jesus came and we have the Bible now, because we have the law, all our willful acts of rebellion and disobedience to God clearly show that every single one of us, we are guilty before God. So whatever innocence that you could plead that you did not know, you are still guilty. And part of it is you would have died. But now because we do have the Bible, we do have God's laws, that when we disobey, it shows us that every single one of us, as you're Listening to the sound of my voice, every single one of us, and myself included, we are all guilty before God. Let me explain it this way. Uh, I don't know how many of you wear glasses. Uh, if you're Asian, I guess many, because all you did was study ever since you were young, or you're one of those gamers that you need to be set free. So listen to me carefully. Those of you who wear glasses, you understand that there are times when there's all this junk on your lens. It's kind of like even when you try to reach for it, you get your fingerprints on it, and there's smudges on your glasses. And let's just say that as you put on your glasses, everything is blurry, things are just, there's spots all over. You cannot say, listen to me, that the world is spotty, or everything in this world is so blurry. 
No, because the lens in which you are looking through is there's smudges and there's particles on it. It makes everything that you look at in that way dirty. It's only when you have a clean lens, when you realize everything around you is now clear, and those things prior to that, with your fingerprints and all that, was the thing that affected your view. Let me give you another example. I remember when I first got my uh, kind of upgraded phone, I had this uh, other uh, Samsung phone for a while, and then so uh, I, I got this uh, once again, Samsung phone, um, Android. I, I got this phone, and it, it, it was touted as it had the greatest like picture taking uh, at, at that time. So there were times when my family will go out and we will spend time uh, eating together or wherever we're hiking, and whenever we wanted to take a picture, it was like Seth, you take it with your camera, you know, because of course Samsung far superior than uh, any other brand. So I said. Let me take the picture. And there were many times when I actually took the picture, and after the fact, it was all blurry. And sometimes my wife or my daughter, especially because she can't post, she's like, oh, Dad, you know, the picture is like all blurry. I'm like, what's wrong with this phone? And that's when I realized it wasn't the phone. What was it? The lens. It had all my fingerprints on it because I'm taking it out of my pocket, and it's that smudge that's on my lens that makes the picture look all blurry. So what is the point that I'm trying to make? Something like, okay, there he goes again on the phone thing, but here, I want you to listen. The law, the Bible, is like the clear lens. It's literally showing you how you have been looking through life and living your life in such a way that it's not only blurry, but there's a lot of spots and junk all over. The Bible will help to notice all these blurry marks and spots in your life. That's what the Bible does, doesn't it? Like if you know, don't know anything that's clear, you think, oh, this is great. This is how it is. But once you realize the clarity of things, then you realize, wow, I've been looking through a dirty uh, eyeglasses or I've been taking bad pictures. It is only when it's contrasted to something that is completely different. And this is the reason why the law, God's word was given to help people to see how far away they have been from what God desired. Let's continue in this thought. You guys just follow along with me in verse 15 through 17. Listen to what it says. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, bound, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one's trespasses brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses drew justification. Verse 17 for if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more would those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So remember what I was saying, this contrast, because of this one man, Adam, this, this, and this, death, and the trespasses, now we are condemned. But here through one man, Jesus Christ, there is obedience. What Paul is trying to say is that if you are in Adam, if you're living on your own, in your own humanity, in Adam, this is your fate. But if you are in Christ, then your fate is completely different because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's why you will notice the word trespass. It is translated as a false step. That all of us have taken steps or made false steps. We're walking, and then we kind of stumble and fall. That's what we have done. We're constantly stumbling and falling. That every single misstep, false step that you have made in your life, what the Bible is saying is that Christ's free gift 
of not only grace, but forgiveness and mercy can overcome in our lives. Will you listen to me for a moment? And let me speak to you as your pastor and just from heart to heart. I think the older you get, you're going to slowly realize how much more sinful you really are. Many of you have not experienced a lot of other things that will come your way. And this is the reason why I have a passion for many of you who are young, because I want to teach you at this young age, as God brought different people in my life when I was younger, to learn some of these things. Some of the things that you're going to face, you will, you will never understand until you go through it. So it's something that you just kind of file away until you go through it and you pull it out and you realize, I remember this teaching, I remember this truth in Scripture. Some of you are going to go through a lot of difficulties in life. And one of the things I've seen over and over again is that many of us are going to make a lot of missteps. You're going to make a bad choice. You're going to make a bad decision. And I realize that Satan oftentimes likes to use some of those mistakes, some of those bad decisions that you've made, and to really kind of put you down so much that you say, you know what, I'm beyond hope. There's no way that God could forgive me of this. And one of the things you fail to know is that that's exactly what Satan wants you to feel and to go through. Because he wants to separate you from the love of God. But what Paul is saying is that if you are in Christ, then the love of God, nothing will separate you from his love. Whatever mishap, whatever false step, trespass that you have made in your life, Christ, through his obedience to God the Father, that we could not obey, but only Christ did perfectly because he lived a perfect life. He has the power to overcome that bad decision. He has the power to bring you back into that path even though you made a false step. If you do not believe in this, then your only choice is to die in your sin and to live a miserable life, the life that is not what God intended for you to live. Especially if some of us are claiming to be Christ followers. In John chapter 10, verse 10, what does Jesus say? What does he say? He says, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give life and to give it abundantly, to give it in its fullness. And that is what Paul is trying to teach here. What he's simply saying is that if you are in Adam, you're going to just not only die, but you will be forever separated from God. But if you are in Christ, even if you make a mishap or a misstep, that God, through Christ, can overcome it. That's why in verse 15, you will notice a phrase, much more. God's grace is far-reaching and available to us. It's not just the physical, to the physical, the eternal life, but it's also for the spiritual, that our souls will go on forever and spend the rest of eternity with Christ. This is why in verse 17, Paul talks about how through Adam, death reigns, but through Christ, there's an abundance and this free gift of righteousness. As you will see here, we're all devastated by sin because it affects us all and because we become aware of it more and more as we know who God is. And the only answer to be set free from this is through Jesus Christ. Let me pause here as we think about these two subpoints under this devastation of sin. I'm wondering, who do you turn to? What do you turn to? This is the reason why some of you, instead of dealing with the sin and the mistakes and the trauma and the things that you've gone through in your life, you're trying to solve it by yourself. And this is why so many of us have turned to things that become triggers for us, that we get addicted and many of us are going down a path on unhealthy behavior that's not helping us. Instead of stopping right where you are and say, God, I'm hurting. Sin has devastated me. Sin has affected me. But you are greater. You have overcome death and the grave. I need to turn to you. I'm wondering if sin 
has devastated not only to your core in your sinfulness, but it has devastated your calling. Some of you, sin might have devastated your relationship with people. Whether it's at home or with roommates or with colleagues, because of our self-centeredness or whatever it may be, that now it has affected relationships around us. Our sins devastate us. I'm going to pause here once again and give us six minutes to go into quick huddle groups and then we're going to close out. Because the only answer is Jesus Christ. And I want to give that at the end. I want to just close out as we talked about how sin devastates us. I want to talk about how our Savior delivers us. That our Savior delivers us. We've been talking about how when sin overgrows around us, that it's God's grace that overflows within us. And this is why we've got to look to Jesus. When we look at this next passage here in verse 18 to 20, and let me go ahead and read it for us in the ESV. It says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespasses. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what we just read is not nothing new to what I shared earlier. But I want you to see the contrast that's more evident in these three some verses. You will notice in verse 18, there is this contrast of condemnation versus justification. That we are condemned because of Adam. If we are in Adam and we do not receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as he invites us into his kingdom, then it's going to lead to condemnation. If some of you who are believers and you still trust in yourself to make things right, to do better things, to try harder, then you are still acting as if you're in Adam, that it's all dependent on you. That's why you feel condemnation all the time. This is why even though when you pray, even though you're trying to walk with God, you still feel this because you're still operating in Adam. But we're justified when we are in Christ that we are trusting in Him. We are looking towards His perfect life that we could not live, that we humble ourselves and we say, Jesus, we need you. Justify me. I need this justification. I cannot justify myself. I cannot make myself righteous. Only you can. In verse 19, as we have read, this idea of disobedience and obedience. So here's, in Adam, it will always, we will always disobey because we're trusting in ourselves once again. And we are sinful by nature, so it affects us in every part of us, no matter who we are. This is why we need to trust in Jesus' obedience to the Father. Jesus obeyed for us what we could not obey on our own. So that's why Paul is contrasting in Adam, there's disobedience. In Christ, there is obedience. In, in, in Adam, there's condemnation. But in Christ, there is justification. And then in verse 20, and this is what I want to close out, and looking at verse 21 as well, we see there is law versus grace. That is about trying to obey all these laws and live by these laws or by trusting and living by grace. There's a difference. The key part that I want us to understand is that there's some of you right now who are still living under the law, even though you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because I look at myself and I look at so many of us. When you get judgmental, you are living in Adam and under the law. Because people are not doing all these things that they should be doing. So if you're a judgmental person, and you, you might say you're a Christian, and you might be because you trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, but the way you're living right now is you are living under that law. That's why you're so judgmental. Some of you who are very proud, 
thinking to yourself like, hey, I'm better than everyone else. You, you have this false sense of humility, but you're really proud because of your background, because of how you're living your life, because you don't do that thing, or because you made this decision. You're still living under the law that shows that you're trying to earn favor and approval from God. You cannot be proud if you understand grace because you don't deserve it. You're sinful. And so when you look at other people, when you look at different situations, you realize I'm just as condemned. I'm just as guilty as them, but only the grace of God. That's why judgmental attitudes, this pride, the spiritual pride, all these things clearly show that you are living in Adam, in that humanity of sinfulness and of disobedience and condemnation. And that's why many of you condemn people. Some of us who are not able to love, it shows that you are living in Adam rather than in Christ. Why? Because once again, you feel like they should be worthy to be loved. When you forget that in Christ, you were not worthy of his love, but he loved you. So when you live in grace, that's when you're able to love some of these unlovable people in your life. Now, some of you who have fasted, you understand this very well. When food was taken out, social media was taken out of you, what happened? You got angry, hangry, and all this stuff. Why? Because you are now doing things in your flesh. So you realize you've tried to do so many things on your own, and we keep on stumbling and falling rather than turning to Christ. And that's why in verse 20 we see where sin increased. That's what Paul is saying. So even greater, the more that sin keeps on increasing, what does it say? God's grace increased all the more. Praise God. Can I get a good amen to that? Wherever you are, just say an amen. You could put it in the chat. That every single time you sin, and every single time people sin, sin upon sin, and your life just seems just this complete weight of sin upon your shoulders, the Bible tells us that in Christ, the grace abounds, and it's that much more. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. Well, then I would say you don't know what Jesus has done. That means the cross that you believe in is too small. The cross that you believe in doesn't have that kind of power that you claim that it does. That Christ is greater. No matter what you have struggled with, no matter what you have done, Christ is greater. This is what sets us free. That's why being under the reign, he uses that word, the reign of grace. Because God, through Jesus Christ, is reigning over us, and that reigning over us is grace. Think about an umbrella. When all the sin is pouring down, condemnation, all the guilt, and all the accusations, it's like rain coming down. God opens up this umbrella of grace, and now we are covered in Christ. Not only declare righteous, but we are going to be made righteous in this process of sanctification. And it's all going to point to the glorification one day when we see Jesus face to face. That's why the word made means to stand uh, constituted. Sorry, I just drew a blank here. The word made means stand constituted as. That means we, we, we have been given, it has been given to us. That he makes us righteous. I think this is the difference between legalism and grace. Either you save yourself or Jesus is your savior who delivers you. I think legalism, we try to make ourselves righteous. We try to make ourselves acceptable to God. That's how you lived your life with your parents trying to get a good grade, trying to get a good job, trying to do this and that, so that they could just approve of you. And that mindset carries over in your relationship with God. But God says, I love you. In spite of all that you have done, that I, you are accepted. And that's why he mentioned earlier, look at the cross for an ungodly person. Maybe possibly they might dare to die. But Jesus Christ, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. I was thinking about this, and I, I just realized the more and more that there's usually two things that happen if you live in legalism. Some of you who are living under the law, legalism, and there's no grace in your life. There's usually two things that begin to happen, and I've seen this in my life. 
in, in those seasons of legalism that I saw in my life because I was trying to earn something and do something before God. In my younger years, in my walk with God, thinking that I'm so great, I'm better than everyone else. But as you get older, like I said, you start realizing you're more sinful than you realize. So th these are the two things that normally begins to happen. The first thing is this. When you understand more of the law through the Bible, more of who God is through the Bible, the first thing is this, that we realize more. <laughs> we start realizing a lot more. A lot more of what? Once again, how sinful we are, how great Jesus is. That's what we start realizing. And then what happens is this. It's kind of interesting. I really believe ignorance is bliss, right? If you don't know where that food was made and what hands and all that stuff, you're like, oh, this is the best food in the world. But when you see that some things happen, then you're like, oh, my God, right? So ignorance is bliss. So there, there are people who just doesn't know about God's heart, God's laws. And so what happens? You become a Christian. Or some of us, we decide to get more serious about God. And then we start realizing, oh, swearing is not good. But pastor, come on, didn't you read all those research? Because you read a lot, you told us. But when you swear, that means you're more highly intellectual. Not necessarily. You could be smart without swearing. That's just an excuse. Because you start reading the Bible, you realize, oh, my goodness. The passage of Matthew 5, it just talks about, it's not what goes into a man that makes him uncomfortable, but what comes out. You start reading about James chapter 5, where it talks about that in the same mouth that praises and curses can come out. How can that be? You start reading in, uh, in Ephesians 4, 29, it talks about how don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only for those that is to lift up and to build up. So here you are swearing like a, I don't know, there's a phrase in America called swearing like a sailor, you know. Here you are, you know, beep, beep, beep. And all of a sudden you read the Bible like, oh, that's wrong. It doesn't glorify God. I'm being just like the world. My mouth should be used for blessings, not cursing. So you start realizing things. There's all these other stuff in the Bible as you get to know God more. You're not obeying the law to get something, but because Jesus obeyed for you, now you want to obey because you love Jesus. Here's the second thing that begins to happen. Not only do we realize more, <laughs> the second thing is we begin to rebel more. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, Pastor. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean we rebel more? Once you know the law, you know the Bible. It shows you how guilty you are. So you know what begins to happen? We start justifying ourselves and making excuses. So that's rebellion. And all those things, whether you realize things more or you rebel more, all these things are just pointed to the fact that you need Jesus more. You need Jesus more. God, forgive me because I realize I do fall short of your glory. God, forgive me because I realize I'm justifying, making excuses when you clearly show me your heart. So instead of living by the law, I want to live by grace. Under that reign of grace, in Christ, so even though our sins devastate us, it is our Savior that delivers us. He delivers us. That's why the one thing is simply when sin overgrows in our lives and around us, kind of like a garden that has not been tended, all these weeds are coming out. That's why we need God's grace to overflow within us. Not by living by the law and being judgmental, spiritually proud, thinking that you do things for yourself, but you're turned to Jesus through that one man and through that one obedience by dying on the cross. We have this new life and we could be set free. 
as I'm doing this comparison, Adam, Jesus, Adam, Jesus, it gives us a picture of the gospel. How? Because not only what we just read, but think about the stories. The story of Adam, the story of Jesus. Adam sinned next to this tree. But Jesus Christ died on this tree so that we could be set free. Adam disobeyed God, but Jesus obeyed God perfectly so that we would made, we would be made right. As you think about this gospel, I pray that somewhere along the line you begin to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. That as Adam died as a sinner, Jesus Christ died for the sinner, for us. May our response to him be overjoyed because we realize what we could not do for ourselves Jesus Christ did for us. That's why he's worthy of our worship. That's why he's worthy of giving our lives to. That's why he is worthy of serving him, laying down our lives sacrificially, because he has first done it for us. And now everything that we do is, Jesus, it's a thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for serving me by dying on that cross. So now I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to challenge us with some of these real practical things that you can do this coming week. I know the fast is done. Many of us are heading into Chinese New Year, and you're going to be wearing red uh, all over the place. There's red everywhere. I pray that you will not forget in this new year that you will live under Jesus Christ, the reign of Christ. Here's a couple things for you to think about. The first thing is this. Remember who you are or who you were before coming, becoming a Christ follower. It really helps you think about where would my life be? Man, I was really messed up back then. I'm still messed up, but not much as that. It's because of Jesus. The second thing is this. Repent quickly and turn to God. When you sin, when you have a misstep or false step, repent quickly before God. The longer you delay it, the more it shows that you're trying to earn something, trying to do things on your own strength. Some of you are ashamed and living in guilt. Quickly turn to God and repent and say, God, I'm sorry. He has open arms and will receive you. The second thing is this. Receive humbly what you could not earn. Receive it. I know you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. No one does. But humbly receive it. Don't be like that Asian family that keeps on fighting who's going to pay first. You know, God has given it to you. Like, no, God, let me, let me earn it. And God, God's like, no, it's really, no, no, let me earn it. You know, going back and forth. Don't do that in Chinese New Year, all right? Just receive it humbly and say, God, I don't deserve it. I'm grateful, thankful. Which is then the fourth thing is reciprocate God's grace that you have, re or that you have received and give it to others. Reciprocate that grace to others. Because you, God has been generous to you, be generous to other people. Generous with your time. Generous with your resources. That's, that's when I know that somebody has been touched by the gospel. They're generous. Have you ever met generous people? Whenever I meet generous people, it's because they've been touched by the gospel message, the grace of God. Whenever I meet stingy people, they're, they're doing things under the law. Because when God has given so freely to you, life, forgiveness, and mercy, and all this stuff, you're just saying, God, my whole life is yours. Here, here's my time. Here's my resources. Here's my talents. God, use it all. And lastly, respond with thanksgiving. Respond with thanksgiving. Let's just skip the video. I, I, I just... I don't want to ruin this moment. I, I, I just really want the Holy Spirit 
to speak to you. Not through a video or a testimony or anything like that. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. There's some of us right now who you've been living in Adam, in this humanity, and you're trying to do all these things. Even if you are a believer, you've been still living in your flesh. And what God is offering you today in the midst of the devastation of sin in your life is offering you deliverance. And that only comes when you turn to Jesus and you live in Christ under the reign of His grace. I'm wondering if that's when some of us will be more loving, less, less judgmental, more gracious, because we didn't deserve it. We deserved hell and death, your wrath, but God, you delivered all these things from me. So I pray that even though at times sin seems like it's overgrown in our lives, that we will receive God's overflowing grace so that it will work in us and then through us. Can I just ask us just to, I want to invite us. Can we just stand? I know some of us might not feel comfortable doing that because you're just relaxing right now. But wherever you are, especially if you're watching with like a couple friends around you, let's just stand right where you are. And I, I want you to just with open hearts and with open hands, just for one minute, can we just stand still and just allow the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us with this overflowing grace in our lives, that all our self-righteousness, legalism, and all these things that are under the law in Adam that will be washed away and will experience this newness of life and deliverance with whatever it is that you're struggling with, this sense of deliverance that will come over you, a freedom like you've never experienced before, this desire that you might not have had that you're going to say no to, that you're going to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to, turn to Christ and not to myself. We, just with open hearts and open hands, let's just receive what the Holy Spirit will deposit into our lives. And just imagine just like that waterfall just washing over us, refreshing us, renewing us so that we can live this life for His glory. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.